The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 25th chapter, beginning at verse 6 and continuing through to verse 9. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written on this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the opening verses of the 20th chapter of John. And I'll give you a homework assignment here this morning. Uh, later today, find your Bible and open it to the 20th chapter of John. Reread these first 10 verses and then read on a few more verses, maybe through the entire chapter as we celebrate in depth the story of the resurrection of the living Lord. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. We have now arrived at a glorious Easter morn, following a long and arduous journey through the season of Lent. We find ourselves at last at the empty tomb. When the first witnesses arrived at sunup on the first day of the week, they were greeted by an unexpected sight. They were confused and they didn't know what to make of it. I can't help but wonder if perhaps we too find ourselves wondering 
What does it mean that Jesus' corpse was not laying where it should have been? We hear the same story every year at this time. Oh, yes, the, there may be a few minor details that differ, and each of the gospel writers were emphasizing a particular and unique theme as they told their stories. But each Easter, we read an account of the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe we also are less than clear on precisely what's happened here. And more importantly, what, if any, are the ramifications of the tales of an empty tomb in the Palestinian hills 2,000 years ago? So that's what I'm going to spend the next few minutes considering. First off, the fact that Jesus' beaten, bruised, broken, bloodied body was no longer in the grave meant that, well, it had been moved. Now, the friends who came to tend to the body that first day of the week were doing so out of love for their Friend, And when they arrived and found his remains gone, they were, of course, taken aback by the discovery. They first wondered, as we probably would have too, honestly, uh, who would steal a dead body and why? Now, after some time and further examination, more clues to the unwitnessed events were uncovered. These suggested that the removal of Jesus from the tomb had been done with some degree of care and was not a, a rushed exhumation. Our reading from the fourth gospel ends inconclusively. As we continue on in John, the homework that I have assigned you, we are provided with more concrete evidence to support the claim that was made that day by Jesus' friends, the claim that continues to be made Right on up to this day, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But at the place where the text ends this morning, the disciples and the women were still confused. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The scripture that is being referred to is contained in this collection of writings we call the Bible. It's pretty hard Yea, nigh on impossible, I would say, for someone to understand Scripture without first having read or at least heard it. So the world may today be confused, for as, the, as yet they have not understood the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. It is a, a hard and a difficult teaching, but what the empty tomb was among many other things, was a symbol testifying to this, a signpost that points us back to the words of God in his great self-revelation of himself, Holy Scripture. The grave could not contain the incarnate God who had become flesh and dwelt with us in fulfillment of hope and promise and prophecy that are contained throughout the Bible. It serves as the ultimate proof of the truth that all that was written on all the pages, in all the chapters of all the books that comprise the Old and then the New Testament, it tells us that the Word of God for the people of God has been, maybe and always can be, relied on and trusted. And in a world full of suspect narratives 
and deep fakes, this is no small comfort. In the hours before his arrest and execution, Jesus shared a Passover meal with his friends and reclining there around the table in the upper room, they would have read, spoken, or perhaps even sung the Dayenu as part of their festival observance, as we did here Thursday night. It is a list of the marvelous works of God, which he has chosen to do for his people throughout the generations, followed by an acknowledgement after each one of Dayenu, or it would have been enough. It would have been sufficient. It served then and it still serves today as a reminder to the Hebrews of how rich are the blessings of God. It is testament to the extravagant love of a God who continued to provide for his people over and over and over again, abundantly more than they could hope or imagine. And the empty tomb, this is the crowning example of his compassion for us. And this, this, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where the empty tomb gets real for us. For the rising of Jesus from the dead, the vindication of his claim to be the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of his people, the triumph of the Son of God over the powers and the principalities of this world and beyond, all this should elicit more than simply songs of alleluia for the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all things. Yes, we cheer yay to God for his victory on this day of resurrection, but it means so much more for us than that. It means we are like the former Hebrew slaves in Egypt, free to live in a new place, in a new way, and with a new purpose. It remarkably demonstrates God's desire that we know the power of light and life will ultimately triumph over the forces of darkness and death. This means that if God is for us, then who could be against us? It means that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear any evil. The benefits that accrue unto us as a result of the empty tomb are not then limited to those of an assurance of eternal life in the age to come. Indeed, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever should believeth in him will have life everlasting. We should not perish, and of this we are assured in these familiar and comforting words from this very Gospel of John back in chapter 3. And there is no underestimating the tremendous and unparalleled value of that unmerited gift. Dayenu, it would have been sufficient. It would have been sufficient had the empty tomb provided for us the singular path of entrance to a future unimaginably more beautiful than the present we can ever know. But as the Hebrews recite the marvelous works of God each year at the Passover, the list of blessings doesn't stop there. It goes on. 
For those who put their faith, their trust, and their belief in Jesus as Lord, risen and reigning over all that he has claimed on earth and in heaven, we are in receipt of all that is necessary for an abundant life here in the present because he lives. For if we believe in a God who can accomplish that which is completely impossible in raising his only begotten son from the grave, then certainly that very same God can accomplish that which is only seemingly impossible in our lives. Like mending broken relationships as Jesus has done between God and man. Like reconciling parents and prodigal children as Jesus did for the maker of the covenants and the people that he made them with. Like erasing the barriers we have put between ourselves and God for perceived hurts done to us. As the curtain in Jerusalem at the Holy of Holies that separate that area from the worshipers was torn from top to bottom, we have a God who has removed the veil that separated us from his holy presence. God has vanquished the foes that stand in our way as he did the centurions who were posted at the tomb, powerless to prevent the liberation of the Son of God. We then have every reason and indeed we have every right to be the most carefree people on the planet. Who the sun sets free are free indeed. The empty tomb is evidence that there is nothing more powerful than our God. And if God is for us, then who can stand against? Set free from the cares and concerns, the worries and the troubles, the fears endemic to and in this world. We, as those who would call ourselves Christians, may then turn our attention onward upward and outward. Just as Jesus had been released from the grip of the grave, so too have we. Therefore, let us not confine ourselves to a mausoleum of our own construction, insulating ourselves from the troubles and the cares of the world around us, trying in solitary desperation to provide for ourselves that which we have already been promised in Christ. Easter, then, is a day to celebrate God's glorious victory over the foes of this world and beyond. How wonderful, how excellent, how marvelous indeed. But there is more than that to the saving power of Jesus. For the reign of Christ did not end at sundown on that first day of the week. It has continued uninterrupted into this day and will go on henceforth into eternity. We who dwell in the shadow of the resurrection have and will always be citizens of his kingdom. One that does not exist in heaven alone, for he is Lord of the living and the dead. Because he lives, we can live in the here and the now in a different, bolder, fuller, more vibrant way. No longer bound by the constraints of living for ourselves but dedicating ourselves and our lives to the God who has given us this gift of Easter. 
And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.